Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So, good evening again. So this is the part of our time together where I'll try to say something that's useful to you <laughs> and uh, offer some, uh, some thoughts, uh, perspectives, reflections uh, from my own experience and understanding of the Buddha's teachings um, as they have entered uh, my own life and heart and mind. And I'd like to offer some reflections tonight on an aspect of uh, our lives as humans and our spiritual practice that is pretty central, which is making decisions and choices. <clears throat> and so these will uh, just be sort of a series of uh, reflections. Uh, and depending on how the time goes, we'll see if we have time at the end to do uh, kind of more of a guided exercise with this. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, I, I chose this topic about a week ago before, excuse me, before making a pretty big decision today in an une- unexpected way. Uh, I was on a walk with a, a good friend earlier this afternoon and just sharing a little bit about my life and what's happening for me right now, uh, personally and professionally, and some of the different work projects that I have happening this fall and a um, certain level of stress that I've been feeling uh, around, around them and uh, kind of in a bit of a, a bind, feeling uh, excited about some of them and uh, not excited about others and having an idea that I should be more excited or that, you know, like, I, should wa- I, I want to want to do these things, but, I, but, I, but it's not there, right? And, uh, you know, through the, through the course of the conversation, realizing that one of the projects that I had decided earlier this summer to do um, against my intuition, I had sort of an intuitive feeling like, you know, probably better to hold off on that one, that I didn't follow for whatever reason. And, uh, and ever since then, that, that intuition has kept coming back, saying like, oh, I should have just, you know, put it down. I wish I... And, uh, and so finally today I made the decision to just say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. And so um, I have these wonderful, this wonderful class coming up this, uh, this fall, um, an eight-week communication class. It's one of the core things that I do uh, that my friend Verona has been helping me to do outreach for that I'm, I'm, I'm going to postpone. I'm not going to teach it until uh, January or February of next year, uh, which frees up a lot of time for me to work on some of the other longer-term projects uh, that I really have more energy and excitement for this fall. So I wanted to just start with that uh, uh, and just talk a little bit about that process um, and uh, some of the things that I've learned over the years of my own practice and just being alive that we, that we all learn when we bring interest to, to our life process. Um, so decisions, it's a reality of being alive, of being human, is that we're faced with choices um, from very simple choices every day uh, to choices that have more of an ethical dimension, um, how we spend our time, uh, to uh, choices about life direction. Sometimes we're faced with very large choices, you know, to change career directions, to end a relationship, uh, to start a relationship, to break an agreement, you know, that we've made but that we feel like we can't actually follow through on. And how do we do that? How do we make that decision? If, if we feel that that's what's needed uh, in the moment. The, uh, the benefit of having a practice is that we can bring all of the tools of our meditation practice and our spiritual practice to bear on decisions, a spirit of inquiry, a sense of investigation, curiosity, and care. <clears throat> and when we, when we actively engage with 
making decisions and choices as a part of our practice. It brings a lot of benefits from this kind of uh, care in the process. We often will gain more internal clarity by actually paying attention to the decisions and choices we make in our lives. We can learn a lot about ourselves. We start to uh, see some of the habit patterns that maybe we're less conscious that can sometimes drive our decisions when we actually begin to investigate how do I decide? What are my, what are my patterns here? What are my fears? Um, when we make choices in line with our ethical values, um, it brings more peace. We live with a more peaceful mind. We have a sense of integrity, which is a real source of strength and uh, a tremendous resource uh, for ourselves, our relationships, for our community. Uh, we, we can also feel a sense through that of being more grounded, more grounded in our values. It's like we know what we're about when we make decisions that are in line with our ethics. Uh, and in general, bringing attention to the process of making choices helps us to steer our life. Making choices is how we steer yeah, it's, it's, having a, it's having a compass. It's, it's knowing which way we're going. So the more we bring awareness and investigation and care to the process of making decisions, the more we're back in the driver's seat and we're actually able to uh, direct uh, where, where we're putting our energy, where we're putting our attention and intention. So... One of the things that I think we realize with uh, spiritual practice when we have a period of more intensive practice, and this is something that um, oftentimes when there's a period of monastic practice um, or a long retreat, uh, it becomes revealed uh, more clearly, is that actually we're making choices all the time. All the time. if there's awareness, right? A pre, the, one of the prerequisites for choice is mindfulness, is awareness. If we're not aware, when we don't have any choice. Actually, we're running on habit. We're running on automatic pilot. But when there's awareness present, everything is a choice. How you sit is a choice. How you walk into a room is a choice. How you take your shoes off is a choice. When there's awareness... The whole arc of the Buddha's teachings is based on this. It's based on this fundamental um, reality. I was going to say principle, but reality that when we bring awareness to our life, we have a choice. And the Eightfold Path is uh, a series of guidelines and pointers about how to, make, how to make choices. How to make choices that lead to awakening. This is also the teachings on karma, that actions have effects. And that when you act in certain ways, they produce a certain results. So if you act with uh, ethical intentions, intentions rooted in kindness and wisdom and clarity and generosity, that that bears certain fruits and the reverse. And that there is a certain kind of action, the action of the Eightfold Path, that leads to a profound transformation and liberation of the heart and the mind. So really taking in deeply the, the, the fact that we have this capacity and blessing, this opportunity as human beings to make choices, is, is really key to having a meaningful life, a spiritual life, um, and one in which we feel more of a sense of um, internal um, agency, empowerment, um, and clarity. <clears throat> so awareness as a prerequisite for choice. Uh, what gets in the way? What gets in the way of, of, of making choices? Um, 
Well, let me back up before I go there. So I want to just kind of differentiate between a few different kinds of choices. Um, There are the mundane choices of our life. What am I going to wear today? What am I going to eat? Um, You know, do I make eye contact with this person or not? Those, all of our choices are important in the sense that we're always um, furthering a certain pattern in our mind. So our mind is a learning machine. Every time you do something, it becomes easier and more likely to do that. So the small choices actually matter. And, you know, choosing to eat this versus that the place to look is where is the choice coming from? You know, what is the motivation behind the choice? What is the motivation behind the choice? This same principle starts to apply when we look at choices that are more clearly ethical. Uh, and the teachings uh, of the Buddha are very clear. They give us very clear guidelines on how to behave in certain situations, saying... If you're interested in living a life that's happy, peaceful, promotes harmony in yourself and others, leads towards um, benefit for yourself and others, and ultimately peace, then avoid these actions, cultivate these actions. And the most basic template for this is the five precepts, not killing, stealing, causing harm with sexual energy, uh, causing harm with speech, or taking intoxicants that cloud your mind and make you do those other things. Um, there, are, there are other lists in the teachings that go into more detail, but basically it's saying, watch out for those. <clears throat> there, are ethical ch- there are choices we face in life ethically that are less clear-cut, right? And this is where really uh, listening very deeply to um, the motivations that are there and, uh, and really weighing carefully the options comes comes in. And I'll, I'll come back to that. The, the last kind of choice or decision, um, which is one that I want to spend the bulk of our time on tonight, because the process and the principles that I'll speak about really apply to the others, um, are, are choices like this, this one I mentioned earlier of like, well, do I want to continue to teach my class this fall or not? Um, how do I want to spend my time? Uh, do I want to go back to school? Uh, you know, should you start this relationship or not? Things like things like this. Um, so, in in these kinds of choices, um, it's useful to be aware of what can get in the way of making a clear choice, and lots of things can get in the way. I'll just mention three that have a nice parallel to the Buddhist teachings. Um, So the first is fear. Sometimes fear can get in the way of making a clear choice. And oftentimes this comes as fear of making the wrong decision. What if I do the wrong thing? And this is based on a certain myth that there's such a thing as a right and a wrong decision in this realm outside of the ethical context where there's a clear ethical consequence. You know, my partner is thinking about going back to school and she should, should I do a social work degree or a nursing degree? You know, what am I interested in? There's no right or wrong decision. Yeah, they're just different decisions that go in different directions. So but when we have the belief that there's a right decision to be made, we can get paralyzed by fear. So starting to become aware of that and noticing if you have that idea that there's a right decision. Another thing that can get in the way of making a decision is the enticement with the thrill of having options. Yeah, As soon as you make a decision, you don't have an option anymore. Right? So this is something um, you know, I experienced in my 20s as... I, as my 20s became my late 20s and then my 30s, seeing, seeing how the number of options were fewer. You know, so as we start to make choices, that sense of, oh, there's so much possibility, maybe, will we'll change. 
And sometimes if we don't want to let go of having different options or having different choices, that can get in the way of making a choice. Actually saying, well, I'm going to do this. Because we don't want to let go of the other options, not realizing that to not decide sometimes is letting, letting other things make a decision for us. The last thing that can get in the way is um, an imbalance in information, which can lead to confusion. So not having enough information about the choice we need to make. If we don't have enough information, it can be very difficult. We can get very confused. Sometimes we can have too much information. You have so much information. You've done so much research. You've talked to so many people. You've gotten so many different opinions. It gets overwhelming. And there's that sense of, "Ah, I I don't know, I don't know. So confusion. So if you look at these, fear, the thrill, the desire, confusion, these are the three root poisons in the mind, delusion, greed, and hatred. So these can, these can get in the way of making clear choices. Another thing that's important to just um, to recognize is that having a choice is a gift. Having a choice is a gift. And that um, not everyone in this world has the same kinds of choices, depending on where in the world you live, uh, or where in the country you live, uh, or what gender you are, or what race you are, or how much money your family has. So it's very important to recognize this, uh, that when we do have a choice, to to really see that, and to recognize that... um, having a choice in and of itself is a certain kind of a privilege. Yeah. So we can, or we can overlook that, and that changes the, the way that we relate to the choice. When we recognize, wow, how wonderful to have a choice. Yeah? What a gift to have a choice here. Not everyone has options externally. And maybe in the way that if you're looking at a certain decision, you do. Very important to recognize that and bring a sense of appreciation, bring a sense of gratitude to having a choice, having a decision to make. And again, this can change the whole sort of frame, the whole um, orientation to the, to the process, to the experience from one of stress or confusion or fear or worry or anxiety or pressure to one more of uh, possibility and interest. And that can have an effect on how things unfold from there. So there, we can say that there's, um, also we can say that there are generally two kinds of choices in life. There's external choices and internal choices. And... Um, we always have a choice internally when we have awareness. And we always have a choice about how we're going to relate to something. We always have an internal resource in our heart about the qualities of mind that we bring to any situation, any relationship. And, and this is... Uh, also, I think, very helpful to recognize sometimes that um, when, we're f- when we're faced with a, with a decision or a choice that's difficult, sometimes what matters in the end is not the choice that we make, but the integrity with which we make it. The, the kind of integrity we bring to the process of deciding because right? life is a process. Life is a learning process. And so, if there isn't a right or a wrong choice, then really what's more important is, how am I deciding? You know, what, what kind of um, process am I actually allowing myself to go through in making this decision? So what is that what is that what are some of the facets of that process? 
And um, how can we use our practice along, along, that, along those lines? <clears throat> Within the context of the teachings, the Buddha gave a very clear uh, metric for making choices. Um, and this is, again, bearing more in the ethical side, but it's useful just to bear this in mind and apply it. He said, basically, if you have a choice, look at three things. Is this for my welfare? Is this for the welfare of others? Does it lead to peace? You can check off all three of those boxes and do it. If any one of those is a no, don't do it. For my welfare, for the welfare of others, does it lead to peace? Again and again, that comes up in the, in the early suttas. This is just helpful to just have kind of a very simple template, right? And again, this won't apply. There will be choices that we each make in life that maybe you're looking at two different things and, and they're yeses on all three, right, for both, yeah? But sometimes they're not. And, it's, and it's, it's important, I think, to look at that. So in those areas where, okay, we've gotten a yes, it's not going to harm myself or others, and you know this goes in the direction of peace, meaning it's not moving towards distraction, unskillfulness. You know, this is in line with my values. Uh, what, what are the qualities we can bring to bear, and what's, what's a process that we can use in making decisions? So as I've mentioned already, the first quality, which is awareness or mindfulness, this is a prerequisite. Yeah. Um, generally, the process that uh, seems to make the most sense to me is one of those blazingly obvious things that can sometimes be helpful to name is first listening deeply. And sometimes it takes a lot to do that, to actually remember like, well, actually listen here. And I'm going to talk more about that, but just just that sense of, okay, let's just just to listen, just to listen inwardly. What matters to me? What am I I hearing? What is my intuition saying? Okay, so there's this listening. That's not enough. Sometimes we can listen, and oftentimes we hear something we know, and then you actually have to trust what you know, what you hear. You actually have to respect the answer you get, which is what I didn't do earlier this summer with my class, which is I took the time to listen, and I had this, I had an intuition that said, not the, not the right time to do this. But then there were other ideas that I wasn't able to let go of that, that didn't allow me to fully trust what something was saying inside. We've all had this experience, yeah? So there's the listening, and then there's actually trusting what we hear. So one of the qualities that's very important in this is, 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 is wisdom. The Pali word is panya, which also means discernment. The root is nya, which uh, has, is, has a cognate with the English word gnosis, to know, a deep kind of knowing, not intellectual knowledge. But this, this ability of the mind to discern, to know things, to know this from that. So bringing wisdom to bear on our decisions mean, means being able to know um, one thing from another inside, to be able to discern inside what we're, what we're actually hearing. Wisdom develops by paying attention. So... The process of making decisions is, is one that we can get better and better at the more we pay attention. And this is another thing that the Buddha uh, talked about when he was giving advice to his son, Rahula. He said, when you're trying to decide whether or not to do something or to say something, he said, reflect on it before you do it. Reflect on it while you're doing it and then reflect on it again after you've done it. 
and in that reflection, ask that question, okay, is this going to be harmful for me? Is this going to be harmful to others? Where is this going, right? But to not just do that before, that's not enough to actually learn. We actually have to sustain that level of investigation during the action and afterwards. Why? If we don't actually carry through the investigation, we're not going to learn anything. Yeah? So wisdom grows from actually paying attention to cause and effect, to actually tracking, okay, what's the result of making a decision based on these feelings or based on these ideas or based on this impulse, you know? Uh, I've been interested this, in this in a long time and really pay, paying attention to what is it like to have an intuition or to have a sense or to pay attention to a decision and then how does that work out? The more we pay attention to that and follow that thread through all the way to the end and reflect back on it, then the next time we're faced with a decision, we have more information from past decisions to say, you know, last time when I made a decision and it felt this way, it didn't work out so well. Or I really liked the result of that. Yeah? Sometimes it's hard to trust what we know inside. So when we pay attention, regardless of the choice we make, when we pay attention to the effects of that choice as an investigation, as a learning, then something is understood. We actually see, oh, I didn't listen to what I knew, and here's how it worked out. Next time, it'll be easier to listen to what you know. And then again, you have to track that, see what the results are, and then you recognize, oh, I, I listened to what I know. I like, I like where that led. That was, that was helpful. That was a good result. And that's going to reinforce that cycle. Another thing that, that gets in the way here sometimes is um, this sense of... Uh, Again, I made the wrong decision. Something didn't work out. I made the wrong decision. And the kind of regret or remorse or I should have if only, right? So whenever you feel that contraction of if only I should have, why didn't I, that's, it's a signal to, um, to step back a little bit that there's actually something that's trying to be learned. But there's a judgment, there's a filter in the mind in the way to actually say, okay, what if I remove that idea of this is right or wrong? What if I remove that idea that there was such a thing and just said, well, this is a learning process. What am I learning from this? What does this feel like? How did I make this decision? How did I end up in this place? And how can I, um, how can I move forward from this place with a different understanding? And again, this is something else that shows up in the teachings again and again in the early suttas where um, one of the monastics, one of the bhikkhus, will make a mistake, do something wrong, break a precept, and say, oh, you know, I'm so, I'm so, this is terrible, I'm so sorry. And the Buddha says, no, don't say that. Don't say, you know, this is terrible. I call this progress, making a mistake. I call it progress when you recognize that you've done something out of alignment with, with your values. When you recognize it, when you make amends, you set it right, and, and this is important, and you set a clear intention to do it differently in the future. Very simple. It's called learning, right? <laughs> so another... Um, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here. Another myth uh, that can get in the way with uh, choices is the myth, and this is a little bit in that sense of the thrill of choices, that um, freedom means having a lot of choices. Right? And that happiness comes from having a lot of things to choose from. Some of the um, 
happiest times in my life have been times of um, tremendous simplicity, where there was very, very little choice. Times on long, intensive retreats, or um, uh, times abroad in, uh, in India, where I didn't have 10 different choices at the store of what to buy of one particular of toothpaste. You know, it's, there's just one kind of toothpaste. It's very simple, you know. Um, so, but this is a myth that our culture perpetuates, right? That the more choices you have, the happier you, you will be. It's important to actually recognize this, recognize this and investigate it. And that the, the Buddhist teachings are actually pointing at something quite different, saying that actually freedom comes from um, studying the impulses behind desire and choice than actually just following them blindly. The, the model of renunciation is that um, limiting our choices actually leads to more of a more freedom internally. By having the freedom to study um, the habits of the mind, to study the operation of uh, our craving and our desire. So again, how this applies to making decisions and choices is just recognizing if there's an idea about um, needing more choices or getting caught up in the pursuit of some ideal through a choice. <clears throat> so I want to talk about a few other qualities that uh, I find very helpful with uh, making decisions and choices and then maybe have some time to just do a brief guided practice. So uh, another, another one is patience. Sometimes we can be in a rush to make a decision when we don't need to. We can impose deadlines on ourselves that are artificial just because of an idea. So sometimes it's helpful to, to, to really have a sense of patience in making a choice and giving it a lot of time, if it's an, especially if it's an important decision, to not rush it to not make the decision until you actually need to. And oftentimes, decisions will come sort of in, uh, in cycles or in tiered phases, and you don't have to make the final choice right away. There's, there's small choices along the way. And it's like, well, what do I actually need to decide now? Yeah? And then you just make that decision, just one at a time. It, it takes a lot of trust to be willing to wait. Sometimes when you don't know, that's the best thing to do, is to just wait. Just wait and listen. One of the more uh, difficult choices in my life to date um, was a, a couple of years ago, I, I spent uh, about two and a half years uh, in white robes as an anagarika. Some, some of you knew me during that time. Uh, it's a, sort of a novice uh, Buddhist renunciate in the Thai forest tradition, the Theravada. And uh, I, sat, I wasn't able to, to ordain as a, as a bhikkhu for various, uh, various reasons. And I knew that going into it. But I still had a, a choice at a certain point of, do I want to continue living in this lifestyle, in this form of renunciation, or do I want to disrobe and, and go back to living a lay life? It was a very, very difficult choice. Um, and I took a long time with it, probably about six months. And I didn't force it. I didn't rush it. Even, even when I actually knew that I was going to do it, I didn't do it right away. I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited until it actually felt right, until it actually was right. Sylvia Borstein, who teaches here at Spirit Rock, has a nice little mnemonic for this. She calls it T-I-O. Just think it over. You know, just, that, that, just to check that habit to rush into a decision. And as I was saying, when we take care with the process of deciding, 
to actually pay attention to how am I deciding. Um, We develop a certain skill. We develop a certain skill in being able to discern what's true for us, what are the various vectors that are at play. And then when we do need to make a decision under pressure, we can, because we've practiced it, we've gone through that cycle, we've gone through that process. Another quality that's very helpful in making decisions is uh, some sense of trust, some sense of trust or faith. And looking at what can you trust, what can you have faith in. Having trust in the goodness of our own intentions. Yeah. Sometimes when it's you get to a point it's hard to know and you've really sussed things out, you know you have good intentions. So well, I can trust that. You know, however this turns out, I can trust that I've really looked deeply inside. And I can trust that I'm moving forward with good intentions. Uh, trusting the integrity of the process that we've gone through. And, and sometimes trusting life. You know, just, just trusting the unfolding of life. One of the analogies that I like to use sometimes in making, looking at making choices is, if you look at a tree and the way its branches grow, do you think the tree's stressed out about where to put the next branch? Eh, probably not. <laughs> you know, it just it just grows. It's just kind of like one thing leads to another, leads to another, and it just sort of unfolds. Yeah, and so that the, there can be a trust in the in the sense that you know we are we are part of a process of life that's larger than who or what we are individually, and that many 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 beings have done it before us. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, last quality that's often helpful is bringing kindness. You know, sometimes it's not easy. We're, we can be faced with very, very difficult decisions in life. A decision to end a relationship or uh, decisions about um, end-of-life care of a loved one. And there's, there's no right or wrong sometimes. And sometimes there are no easy options. Yeah. And so in, in situations um, that are hard to actually recognize that, it's, okay, this is hard, you know? So just recognize the truth of that and bring kindness, bring kindness to ourselves, bring kindness to the process. So we've talked about um, awareness as a prerequisite for making decisions. We've talked about appreciating having a choice, recognizing the, the, the gift, the privilege of having choices. Talked about what gets in the way of making choices, fear, desire, thrill, too many choices, confusion. Um, have talked about uh, wisdom and discernment, uh, ethics, looking at where is, where is this coming from. Uh, talked about patience, taking our time with things, a sense of trust and faith and kindness. A few other things I'll share um, that I've found very helpful. Um, so in terms of information, uh, it can be helpful, you know, to just, do your research, and then let go. Right? You know, get enough information, and then put it down. And once we have enough information, to recognize that and put it down. Uh, sometimes being wary of the, of the idea that we can figure it out. Oftentimes with important decisions, we can't figure it out. It's not actually an intellectual process after a certain point. Once you've gotten enough information, it's no longer a figure-it-out thing. It's a feel-it-out thing. It's a sense of what's, what's, where is this going? Where is the energy going with this? There's a, a, a quote that comes out of uh, the 
homeopathic world that I really like in this regard, which is that um, you know most of our important decisions in life are not things that we figure out intellectually, like which car to buy or um, you know which brand of something to buy based on the cost or the ingredients. Or, you know, it's those are not simple decisions, and in those cases that the uh, quote is that in the behavior of complex systems, aka human beings, the behavior of complex systems, the quality of information is far more important than the quantity. The quality of information is far more important than the quantity. So, so looking at sometimes we think we can think we need more information. It's actually maybe not what we need with an important life decision. What we need is a kind of a quality of information, and for me, that's pointing to a quality of knowing inside. Seeking the support of others is very helpful with important decisions in life. So, seeking the counsel of uh, elders, of respected friends, seeking out the input of people who are wise, people who we respect, who have more life experience than we do, people who know us well and can sometimes reflect things to us that we might be missing. At the same time, it's important to take care with whom you speak to about important decisions. Because we're very sensitive, we're very impressionable beings. And uh, uh, you want to be careful with um, who you share things that are very important to you. If it's not someone that you uh, have a deep connection with or have a deep sense of trust with, um, that their input uh, may be like static. It may create more interference than actually is helpful. So taking care with who you seek uh, counsel from. So the last thing um, I want to share before doing, doing uh, just a brief guided practice is just recognizing that um, we're multidimensional beings. And so it can be helpful to have a frame of reference to check in on different levels in making a decision. Um, So there's the cognitive aspect of our life, our thinking process. Uh, In the Buddhist psychology, this is uh, is called vajjisankara, the patterning of the thought and speech. And so this is where we spend a lot of our lives in thought, thinking, intellect, figuring it out, right? So usually there's, that's already online. We don't have to put a lot of effort into that one. Um, but there's so much more here, right? There's, there's the affective dimension. There's the dimension of the heart, of how we feel, our perceptions, the meanings, the values, the emotions that are present. And this in the Buddhist psychology is called the citta-sankara, the patterning of the heart, the heart-mind. So we can check in on that level. So not just how do I think about this, but how does this feel? What, what emotions are present? You know, what, what, what really matters to me here? What's my heart saying? And listening in on that level. And then we've got this thing. You know, we have a body, we have a physical form which has an intelligence to it. It knows how to walk. It knows how to eat. It knows how to balance. It knows how to move. It knows how to grow. It knows how to heal. There's an intelligence to the cells of our body that we can actually receive when we create space for it and listen to it. The somatic sense, embodied sense, and in the Buddhist psychology, this is the kaya-sankara, the, the bodily pattern. And so again, it's very important with decisions to listen to the body. Now, what is my body saying about this? And what does the body want here? 
and to bring all three of these together, the body, the heart, the mind, the intellect. And to listen to each of them, listen to what each of them are saying, what each of them is wanting, and to see if there's some alignment there. So I know I said that was the last thing I'll share before a guided practice, but there's two other things I want to want to mention just briefly. So um, one is ritual. Ritual can be very powerful. Um, you know, if you have, um, if you identify with the Buddhist tradition or if you have another faith tradition that you uh, identify with, doing some sort of ritual, uh, prayer, you know, just praying for guidance, just opening yourself up to the mystery to the mystery of life, to the mystery of consciousness, and, and just uh, putting it out there. To just, you know, may there be some guidance here. In whatever way feels authentic for you can be helpful. Uh, and and calling, on, uh, calling on sacred beings for important life decisions, you know, calling on your ancestors, calling on your teachers, uh, elders, guardians, trees, mountains. So these can all be helpful supports. So let's um, let's take uh, just uh, just a few minutes to just do a brief guided uh, guided practice, and then we'll we'll have a few minutes for some questions. So I invite you to think of a of a choice either that you've made recently or that uh, needs to be made, a decision that's come up in your life. And first to discern um, two options. Sometimes there's more than two, but for the sake of this, just to discern two options. So now for the first option, first we'll just ask a question. What really matters to me about this option? Another way of putting that would be, if I chose this, what needs of mine would be met? What's meaningful about this choice to me that's unique to this choice? And so just listen inwardly and see what comes. What's meaningful about this choice to me? Just listen from the neck down. Don't, Don't try to figure it out or think about it. Just listen. What information comes from your heart, from your body? Take more time here uh, at home if you like, but we'll move on to the to the other choice. And again, with that same question, what's meaningful for me about this choice, this option? Or asked another way, what needs of mine might be met through this option? And listening, listening inwardly without trying to figure it out.
And now I'd like you to shift your attention back and forth, not between the option, but between what matters to you about each, those, those needs that would be met, the sense of meaning. Shift it to the first one. Just feel into that again. And see if you can feel how you know that inside. Where inside does that sense of this, what this choice will offer you? Where do you feel that? And then shift your attention over to the other one. Which one has more energy? You go to the first. Does this feel like a yes? And just listening deeply inside, listen to what your body says. Does this feel like a yes or a no? Which is more alive? And switching to the other. Does this feel like a yes or a no? Just feeling into it. So this is a somewhat abbreviated version of a longer process, but hopefully it gives you a taste, a little bit of a way that you can bring these uh, guidelines actually into your meditation practice and into a reflection. You're using a question and then listening inside and actually feeling for the information that you're getting from your body. So I'll stop here and offer this for your reflection. I hope some of it's been useful. And we have a few minutes uh, if there are any uh, questions. And just just a, a couple minutes. So maybe we have time for one or two questions. Thank you for that offering. Um, since you mentioned you have a background in trauma, I'm wondering where trauma fits into decision-making process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big question. When there's been trauma, it can it can uh, affect our ability to make decisions because um, when when that's activated. Uh, the nervous system is not functioning uh, optimally, and there's a strong overlay of the past in the present, and and actually sort of the brain function, right, is not not in its uh, normal balanced state. So um, when we have trauma, having an understanding of... The, the particular areas that maybe stimulate that, right? Getting to know that so that we can actually um, recognize, like, oh, I'm not good at, you know, when these circumstances come together, I don't make wise choices. And then we start to actually be able to learn, like, okay, this configuration is happening, not a good time to make a choice. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a certain sense of just starting to understand our own patterning and maybe some of the limitations we have around that first so that we're basically taking care of ourselves in that way. Uh, And then getting the support that we need to address that underlying pattern so that it can resolve enough such that we can start to make um, more balanced and wise choices in in those places. Yeah, is that helpful? Great, thank you. Another question over here, this gentleman. Hi. Hi. Um, I was just wondering if you could say a little more about there is no right or wrong decision. Yeah. Like, um, because partly, uh, one of the reasons is because I really kind of operate under that 
with that kind of premise when making a lot of decisions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also when I heard you talk, like I think I could relate to kind of how you make decisions in that you listen to your body or like your intuition or something. Mm-hmm. I let that kind of um, mm-hmm. guide the way a lot of times. And in that sense, there is kind of an, a, an unfolding or like a way that it might um, not necessarily be right or wrong, but that the outcome may be, uh, uh, you know, in service or non-service. I don't know what words to use that are kind yeah. of, that aren't. aren't <clears throat> it might be in service of a certain aim of yours or not in service of an aim of yours, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, if uh, if your aim is to um, graduate from, you know, UC Berkeley with um, summa cum laude, and you you choose to go party the night before your exams, mm-hmm. that's the wrong choice mm-hmm. for the aim you have, right? You know. So, so I think it depends on the context of how you're defining the choice. So what did you mean then when you said there's no right or wrong? What decision? I meant was, so we can, um, so two things. One, I want to bring back what I said when I, cl- I clarified that by saying outside of the ethical dimension. So when we're not dealing with an ethical choice, right and wrong has a, a relative meaning in the realm of ethics where we say like, you know, we can use those terms to say like it was wrong to say that in the sense that that caused harm to someone you know so outside of a, of a decision that's that, that that has doesn't have direct ethical bearings okay um, we can have an idea that there is you know uh, let's take something really benign like uh, do I want to go out tonight what's the right thing to do you know like and then and then you go out and you don't have a good time and think, oh, I made the wrong decision. Or you stay home and you feel lonely. You think, oh, I made the wrong decision. Right? Usually that just means that we don't like what's happening. <laughs> you know, the right decision or the wrong decision generally means like I'm experiencing pleasant or unpleasant feelings. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I'm pointing, that's one of the things I'm pointing okay. to is that, you know, um, there's a, you know, <laughs> do not believe in the reality of right and wrong. Um, they are as fleeting as um, clouds in a summer sky. I think it's from a Tibetan, a Tibetan verse. So, you know, we, we project that, uh, those ideas, those concepts onto yeah. our experience, often based on our subjective, the subjective feeling tone mm-hmm. of what we're, of what we're um, experiencing. And then, and, then, and then we project that forward into the future, imagining that there is such a thing as a choice that will bring us only pleasant, happy feelings and a choice that will bring us the unpleasant, unhappy feelings. Or we project that concept onto the future, thinking that there is um, such a thing as this mythic idea of the right choice without actually investigating what that means. What are we actually making that mean? And then everything will be great and I'll be happy and everything will go the way I want it to or the wrong choice and all my friends will leave me and I'll be miserable and I won't have a place to live or, you know, we can, we have these ideas of the right choice or the wrong choice but we don't even know what they mean. So I think that your question is pointing to actually like, actually looking at what do I mean by that when I say that to myself Mm -hmm. and if you can define those terms in a meaningful way based on, as you said, a certain aim or criteria that you're using, then it, then it changes, I think, how you're using the term. Mm-hmm. Does that get at some of it for you? Yeah, that okay. clarifies Great. a lot. Great, thank yeah. you. I thank appreciate you. the question. Yeah. So we're going to need to stop now. Thank you for the questions and for the uh, kind attention and listening. So uh, let's just have um, a moment of closing by connecting with the heart and uh, sharing the merit of our practice together this evening. Recognizing the wholesome intentions that brought 
each of us here tonight. The goodness in your own heart, appreciating that. Wishing well to oneself. Wishing well to those here together tonight. And wishing well to all beings, all beings on this precious planet and beyond. May all of the wholesome energies and fruits of our practice be shared far and wide for the happiness, the welfare, and the awakening of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.